basically the joke from Office Space. Uh, you guys watch the text and you grab the point being a lazy lady and a walker. <laughs> Get past that. Yeah. yeah. And with that, I say welcome to Geeks with Kids, your bi-weekly geeky podcast from a parenting point of view. I am one of your hosts, Eric, and joining me this week is Shells, Stu, Hawk, and Matt Moore. Hi, guys. Boom. Hey. hey. Hello. So this week, we're obviously going to talk about how the internet exploded and the tears are fueling this podcast because <laughs> the nerd rage for Hugh Jackman not reprising his role as Wolverine came out. And instead, he's going on tour, like a concert tour, to sing his music from The Boy From Oz and and uh, The Greatest Showman and places like that. So, you know, he's happy because that's what he's always wanted to do. But the nerds are so angry and sad that they're fueling this power, nerds this podcast rage. with rage. I thought nerds like song and dance. Come on. No, 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 no. The, no. the, the, the musical theater nerds are different, but like the, the fan yeah, boys. There's like, there's like a Venn diagram that doesn't quite match up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like, here is the musical theater. Here's fanboys, and right in the middle is Hugh Jackman. <laughs> where, where are the Madden and Call of Duty players? Where do they fit? They are a little bit on the Wolverine side. Yeah. Okay. But nowhere like near the theater. Making those circle finger motions, and like this is a audio medium. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe I'm recording the video this time and put us oh, on, no. on the YouTube. Put on some pants. Oh. No, I never shit. record with pants. Um, <laughs> you just got to be free. Just free. Wolf. But did you want to talk about this before we go? Any I'm, any comments? I'm just finding I'm just finding it about, uh, finding out about this now for the first time. That's fair. Are you are you crying your your nerd rage? Not really. No, I like Hugh Jackman when he sings and dances. He makes me yeah. so happy. Come on, how long do you want to keep a guy in one particular role? Not exactly. Time? He did his part. Yeah, yeah lots of Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he did it in a beautiful color scheme. <laughs> yeah, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> Always bring it back to the black leather. <laughs> and he ended on a high note. Yeah, yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, which is well, Logan, for those of you who have not seen it. It's a beautiful film. Just a beautiful film. Like, yeah. even if it wasn't a comic book film, it would still be a good yeah. film. Yeah. But you know, at some point, he's going to do the inevitable cameo in the MCU somewhere because Disney will throw money at him. And why yeah. not? Because it makes sense. They they can they have access to Fox now. Why wouldn't they do it? I really hope sure. that he doesn't do that because mm -hmm. I would love to see Wolverine back on screen. And that's mm -hmm. like he's not going to do that forever. Like he needs to do. He needs to move on. No. That's what I'm saying. That's and we, what I'm saying. And we like, need new X Men. And like have to do one. Like just a quick cameo because he's the only consistent. Like him and Patrick Stewart and McKellen are the only three that have been. In, in both franchises, yeah. mm -hmm. let it let him do the cameo like he did with First Class, where it's like a thirty second thing, everyone loses their mind, and then they move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the we'll problem, see what happens, right? The problem with that is that the rigorous workout routines that they have to maintain for those roles, it just doesn't fit when you're approaching. You know, he's probably going into what fifty now. Yeah, yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, yeah, but that but that's only if he's going to do a consistent bit. Like other than that, they could just you know, like Josh Brolin certainly didn't bulk up for Thanos. Just CGI him a bit more muscular put him in the black leather suit or whatever they're going to throw him in the MCU, call it a day. Just put him in the flannel, have him drink his beer. Yeah. He'll be fine. Give him a beer yeah. and a cigar. He'll say something sassy. Everyone walks away happy. It would be even <laughs> yeah. better is if he was the uh, truck driver that drove Rogue up to, you know, meet the new Wolverine. Then, you know, that would be circles. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Circle, Circle of life. Hugh, Hugh Jackman will become the new Stanley. Oh my God, that would be amazing! <laughs> it starts appearing and everything. Just I'm shows fine. up randomly. 
Also, right. according to Wikipedia, as of October 12th, he is now 50 years old. So, Woof. Good man. Yeah. He had, he had a good good run as Wolverine and, you know, whatever. Anyway, speaking of Wikipedia, I'm reading one right now for this <laughs> gentleman named William Goldman. For those of you who don't know, William Goldman is a playwright and a novelist, screenwriter. Everything that I'm reading off this IMDb page as well. Um, Magical. He um, he recently passed away, at the age the 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 awesome age of eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So um, we're gonna go talk about the man, not really about the man, but maybe his greatest creation, The Princess Bride, where he wrote the novel and the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And now we go. So um, do you guys know any like were you familiar with William Goldman's work before he had he has written a lot of different movies like he wrote. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He wrote All the President's oh. Men. He oh. wrote The Ghost in the Dark. Um, yeah. And a bunch Darkness. of... Yeah, The Dark. And he wrote uh, Heat and uh, mm-hmm. some other stuff. But... Um, he, also, um, he also is oh. rumored to have been one of the script doctors for uh, Good Bill Hunting. Really? Yeah, uh, okay. that was the, uh, the low-key rumor that uh, Miramax brought him in to just do a treatment on it. That's fair. Him and I Kevin would, Smith. I can see yeah. that. Uh, Kevin Smith was the one that actually said was the one that actually said that he heard rumor that Bill Goldman had come in and done a, done a work on it. That's why he got involved. Ah, nice. Mm. Did you watch any of his other films before? Yeah, I yeah. Ironically, I've actually seen most of those, and again, I saw most of them not realizing it was the same guy that wrote them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But once you once you know after the fact, you kind of go back. I mean, especially you look at something like Heat, that's also very very dialogue heavy with like <laughs> large chunks of action. Mm-hmm. You can see kind of a through line in a lot of what he does. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, you know what? Let's just go straight into the, the, the big thing, The Princess Bride. It was interesting to see the different framing devices. I think The Princess Bride is really famous for its whole grandfather telling his son, um, yeah. not his son, his grandson, Gloria, <laughs> Princess Bride. That would not have made sense. Well, <laughs> man, Peter Falk was rough to be his dad. Yeah. You guys, what do you guys think of this whole, that whole idea? Like, um, uh, uh, a writer taking his own book and making it into a screenplay. Here's the thing. Uh, he actually wrote the screenplay first. They shot the movie and then he wrote the book afterwards because so many people wanted to read the book. That's not true. He wrote the book in 1972, way before the movie came out. In Did he now? Yeah. Something? I was just reading yeah, up on this. I haven't read the novel myself and that. I started. I downloaded like a PDF copy of it in this week uh, in uh, preparation of it, but I didn't get very far. <laughs> uh, from what I took of it and that, it may very well be the, one of the first... Uh, it's definitely in the postmodern kind of genre of fiction in that, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's, I guess, what the kids today would call meta. That. Yes. It was very meta. It's, think about it's, that it's credited to an author who doesn't exist, an S. Morgenstern. And this, the, mm-hmm. pre, the book that uh, William Goldman presented, he claims is his abridged version of the original manuscript. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's all these, I was reading that there's this like running joke in it and that where he uh, wrote an original scene to this, you know, it, to this original manuscript uh, involving a reunion between Buttercup and Wesley. Yeah. Uh, and while it wasn't published in that, he invited uh, fans of the book and that to write to the publisher and that in order to receive a chapter uh, mm-hmm. of this reunion for people to read. And apparently it's been a running joke for decades in that. Mm-hmm. And if you write to them, the publishers will send you a letter uh, saying that uh, due to legal issues with S. Morgenstern's family and that we are unable to release this. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious yeah. that wow. in the actual novel, he, he put the mailing address of his publishing company. Yeah. 
like straight there. Oh, I, I, when I read that, like this is the first, like two weeks ago was the first time I started reading it again mm-hmm. in a long time. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that he did this. Oh, but yeah. like there, there was a lot of different meta things, right? Because it was sort of like an auto, not a fake autobiography of William, uh, William as well, because it talks about this writer who heard it from his father and then he grows up to be a writer. Mm-hmm. And, blah, blah, blah. and he was talking about how he was writing screenplays for movies. And you're like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's neat. I don't think it would have worked in the movie. Like he, yeah, he, no, they uh, they streamlined it very well for the movie and kind of just doing the whole the grandfather talking to the grandson, mm-hmm. but still keeping a lot of those inside jokes that he wrote into the actual book alive in that. Mm-hmm. And he definitely kept a lot of the same, um, like he he knew when to pick the proper lines to keep oh, yeah. in the film, like all of like the Fezzik lines, the yeah. the um, Inigo Montoya line, and mm-hmm. you know, inconceivable and stuff. <laughs> I know, I know that for me, I know Matt, Stu, and Hawk, we had all watched the, the movie as kids. Mm-hmm. But Chelsea, you just watched the movie last night. Yeah. What, what, was, that, what was that experience? Like, <laughs> I'm sure that you had grown up knowing that people talked about this film, right? It's a pretty famous film. Well, absolutely. So, so yeah. you, knew, like, you knew bits and pieces. Like, I know people who have, seen, who have not seen Star Wars that end up seeing Star Wars when they were older. But they already yeah. knew like certain things, you know. Well, that's, that, that's the thing. There were, there were pieces of pop culture that just sort of fell into place for me that I didn't realize that's where they had come from. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so like, you know, anybody want a peanut like that line? Like I had heard that before and I had no idea where that came from. Right. Yeah. The, and, and the whole, um, you know, uh, you know, I, that, that line that he says, you killed my father, prepare to die. Like I've heard, yeah. I, I didn't know where that came from, but it's entrenched <laughs> in pop culture. Oh yeah. <laughs> but what, what a fun movie. Like looking at it as, as an adult, it's seen like a, you know, a great deal of, of fantasy uh, comedy, like these types of movies. And just to be able to just have an, an innocent perspective on it and, and just sit back and enjoy, like it was really cool. I had a qu- I had a quick question though. Like you're talking about the, uh, the, the novelization, like for, for those of us that haven't read the novelization, like, and I know you, you mentioned the, the book came first, like how, how closely does, does the book and the movie line up? Like in terms of, of plot points, like does, does the book like have way more going on in it than the movie? The, or does- the book goes into a lot of the characters backstories. Like, you know, Indigo gets a chapter of when he was a kid, the whole thing that happened with his father you get all of Fezzik's backstory when he was a child. Uh, you get little yeah. bits of it. Like you get a lot of like backstory into the individual characters. Mm, okay. But, but the actual main story <laughs> is virtually identical. There's yeah. no real major, like there's little changes here and there just that are making it more cinematic. Like, you know, the, in the movie, the shrieking eels in the book, they were just sharks. Okay. But you know, like he just kind of made things a little bigger for the movie, but the story is almost identical from uh, what I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Pretty much. Um, so because we had seen the the, the movie as kids, well, does it hold up still as today? Like we're watch, we're I know we're watching it through rose colored glasses. So <laughs> it has it aged well. Like I think it aged well, but uh, yeah, I don't know. shows <laughs> like like w- watching it from from like a, a a perspective you know of of looking at modern film and and looking at you know what what a film we're looking for like nowadays. Um, I think it definitely held up. Like mm-hmm. I, I was getting a lot of never ending story kind of vibes from it. Like in terms of some of the, some of the cinematics and, and, and how they had framed some of the shots. Uh, it was just reminding me of that era of filmmaking, right? The late eighties. Um, 
but I, I, at no point did I feel like I was being taken out of the story because of say a lack of special effects or, or things like that. It, 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 it kept alive for me. So through the whole story. I think it helps that the the cast is so damn good. Like yeah. that ensemble is crazy. Even just like Peter Falk and Fred Savage as the narrative device. Like mm-hmm. they, you'd never think that Fred Savage would be the one that's holding the film together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like him and Peter Falk have a great chemistry. What do you guys think of the cast? Like in, in general, or even you can go into individual people that you really loved into the film. There Let's go it, with the uh, yeah, go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you. It's one of those casts where I think you you could not replace a single actor on there with anybody else at the time. I suppose uh, it was it wasn't you know it's supposed to be framed like a child's fantasy in that and, you know it's like what well, some of the scenes that look kind of silly today in that like some of the sword duels and that it's it was all part of the it was all part of the comedic framing for the movie. Uh, and the, the cast itself, you know, it was perfect in that. Um, Mandy Patinkin, I get, who had his background in musical theater, you know, song and dance man, right? <laughs> Bring it all back together. I'm not quite sure about Carrie Elway's career uh, previous to that. Uh, you know, he was he was kind of perfect. As, you know, the, uh, a young, you know, you know, handsome looking farm boy, and that turns into a, a, a quite the swashbuckler. But was he in other things too? Robin Hood, uh, Men in Tights, man. Yeah, Who was Robin Hood and uh, Men in Tights. Oh, yeah. and, and what I mean about the pop culture and, stuff all coming and, together? And, and the Saw movies. Yeah, he's a guy you wish you had 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 kind of a more prominent career in that. But you know, for that, you know, that you know, for him, that was kind of one of those once in a lifetime things. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I was telling. Um, shows last night you know to focus on the sicilian and that and how perfect that <laughs> casting was it was yeah. amazing <laughs> just so, something i wanted to bring up just quickly if i can um the, no no, ah! <laughs> <laughs> no! Um, just something i liked about him being cast in that and just the, the wait who tying carrie always always is that it yeah carrie always okay um uh, him sort of being in that in the, the that first fight scene between him and Inigo uh, Montoya. <laughs> yes, um, it's got a very sort of Errol Flynn classic, yeah, yeah. Hollywood thing. And Errol Flynn, I mean, that he's also Robin Hood, and it's just it's a cute little tie over right there. It, it yeah. was very. It, I thought that was really cute too. I thought I I, actually, I didn't think that the sword fight was cheesy. Hawk, I thought it was amazing. Even watching it again, yeah. like this week, it's still it's sure. amazing. But it's, but it's not it's not played for realism. It is play it no. is yes. played for comedic value in that. Exactly. And, you know, obviously, that's Rob Reiner's direction in that, and obviously, yeah. you know, Rob Reiner he gets he probably got all his comedy instincts from his dad. So. Yeah, yeah. Like just the, the, just the little things um, in the in that sword battle that just you know where he's like, I'm not actually left handed, and he goes, I'm not actually left handed either. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, fun fun little interjection on that. Um, in that fight scene, it was uh, Carrie Elway's stunt double in that fight mm-hmm. is the guy that taught me fencing. You? No really? way. Yeah. He, <laughs> he was a fencing instructor at Mac uh, when I when I was in, in high school, so it was before any of us ever went there. I was going to say the fencing instructor there oh. during, um, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, wasn't, was different but when I was yeah. there. Yeah, yeah for uh, fencing? When did that happen? Yeah. No, yeah, I took that Fencing for a long time. They had a fencing team for years. Yeah, so like it was when I was in mm-hmm. high school. I think it was like not even high school. It's like uh, junior high. 
I took fencing at Mac and he was the instructor. Hmm. Well, things uh, you and, didn't and, know about Matt Moore. And would, <laughs> yeah. it would make it, well, that's why I always, whenever I was a sword fight in a show, that's why everyone calls me because I took three years of it and that's the guy that taught me. So, and he, and he would have a running bit where, you know, he would tell people that, and he's like, and if any of you really want to challenge me, we can do the left hand, right hand thing. And he would literally do it seamlessly. And it was terrifying to watch. Wow. Cause Ooh. that, cause he made that shirt hurt. Mm. <laughs> wow. Mm. Yeah, like so that that's my fun little my 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 Kevin Baconism for this movie is where where I'm kind of connected to it, sort of. <laughs> that's amazing. We we have to talk about Wallace Shawn, okay? Because in my discussions with Hawk last night when we were talking about what else Wallace Shawn was in, <laughs> and when when he reminded me that Wallace Shawn actually played the Grand Negus in in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, oh I, yeah, I could not hear anything but the Grand Negus while he was talking, and it was amazing. Yep. <laughs> Like I just wanted him to read me the rules of acquisition. Oh God, I didn't even realize that. Thank you. Yeah. Now I have to go back and watch Star Trek. It's funny because like, he, he popped up so, in so many places in that. You know, like uh, the the dinosaur in Toy Story. He's the yeah. voice for him. Yeah, is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wallace Shawn is like one of Hollywood's that guys. Yeah. Like, oh, it's I, that guy. He was oh, like Expo this year. Was he? Yeah. There's so oh, much man. I missed. Apparently, he's in Young Sheldon. Uh, yeah that's unfortunate <laughs> oh, sure but he, he showed was, up in sex in the city too and that he's just that he's just that guy you know he shows up he was, he was one of the teachers in clueless for everyone anyone yeah that saw yeah, that. yeah that's what that's what i was thinking what oh he was in eureka oh i love yeah. that show and wasn't he also he's, in um my my dinner with andre yes yeah, yeah that was like he you know like probably the, the biggest supporting role he had in his career he was yeah. in that movie too yeah, yeah my dinner with andre louis mall yeah, oh, I'm gonna have to watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So I, I read something really neat in the um, in the you know the the trivia part of IMDb, and they're talking about how uh, Robin Wright and Carrie Elway's their their connection was really good on screen is because they they definitely had a thing for each other while filming. Um, what did you guys think of these two as the main characters and their their chemistry throughout the film? It it worked for me. It was believable for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Plus you can both. tell there was genuine chemistry between yeah. them. Yes, mm-hmm. and then you know she decided that she would just you know marry Sean Penn, which you know I guess is a great idea. <laughs> As you do. You know? Well, he was uh he was the Hollywood bad one of the multiple <laughs> Hollywood bad boys at that time. You sure, know, girls love danger. Spicoli, I guess. <laughs> and you know Spicoli, you gotta love Spicoli. Yeah, yeah. you gotta date Spicoli, right? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about in uh, blah, blah, blah. let's go back to Mandy Patinkin because uh, there was something I remember reading about how when he was filming this movie and the near the, the ending the the last scene when he's fighting the mm-hmm. the six fingered man yeah and his father Chris. was his father was dying at the time so yeah. um, the the whole you killed my father prepared to die was really really quite emotional for him and like you can see it in that. I know we're just we're just like like busting a nut over these actors, but yeah. is, that, is that a thing that I'm gonna have to bleep out later? Hmm. Yes. No. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, just, just, but, just, uh, just dub over gut and it'll be fine. Has <laughs> a good place not come up with a a, a nice passive curse uh, for that? For for nut? No. Yeah. No. Um, oh man, I don't want to keep bleeping the whole episode. Just random points in the episode. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to keep um, going around on the the cast but we definitely need to talk about andre the giant because yeah. this was probably his biggest role yes anyone have thoughts on him 
But, um, Let's go, oh. with Stu. Stu has a uh, has his hand up like he's a uh, he's in class. No, I, sorry, I, I'm I'm just leaning with my hand off to the side. Um, but you can talk anyway. <laughs> I, can, I can. This is true. Um, I mean, no, nothing uh, in this role. This is pretty much the only thing I really know him from. Um, not, I mean, yeah. I, I know wrestling career and all that, but mm-hmm. uh, this is. Uh, yeah, this this, uh, this is who Andre the Giant is to me. He's uh, 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 I'm blanking on his name. Uh, <laughs> Fezzik. Fezzik. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's who he was, and he was just it just seemed like every once in a while I'll see something online about him. You know, like him holding up a beer can, and it's <laughs> like, oh, that is adorable. Um, <laughs> but, well, apparently, uh, like very... the man was also a champion drinker as well, too. Yeah, I mean. I have. There's an Andre the Giant story yeah. I'd like to include. Yeah, okay. go for it. Um, appar- there, apparently, there was some incident in a bar with Andre the Giant where uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of young men and that decided to try and you know uh, get at him, but calling him names and mocking him and that, and then running outside to their car and trying to escape him in that way. And <laughs> yep, they finally yeah, crossed the line with him. He followed them outside. Apparently, they all four of them got into some small sedan and that. Oh, no. uh, the story is Andre reached down, grabbed the side of the car, lifted it, and managed to flip it over with all four of them inside of it. Yep. I can, yeah, I can that, see that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that story has been confirmed by several sources that pe- of people that actually witnessed it happen. But, but faithful listeners, don't think of Andre the Giant as someone who would take revenge. He's act- he was actually a big softie at heart. That's the well, thing about the performance. It? Is that it, you know he is just the sweetest, mild-mannered uh, guy in that, and apparently that was what he was like in the, in his yeah. in his you know usual life and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, used to invite people over and show him the film and ask them like, "Did you like it? Was yeah. I good in it?" Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. That's that's yeah. adorable. Yeah, I mean, well, because he was so self-conscious about his accent because he was mm-hmm. you know he was born in France, he was raised French, like he was so self-conscious about it. That's why he never spoke when he was a wrestler because mm-hmm. he was so self-conscious about his his accent. He's like, you know, could you understand me? And everyone's like, you were amazing. He's like, oh, you're just saying that. <laughs> you know what? I feel like uh, when people get to be, I mean, not that I know of too many people who are his size, but when they, people tend to get larger, um, they do tend to be a little, I think, um, a bit more cream puff in the center. Because, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you all, when you're that big, you're so physically intimidating. You don't need to be scary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. if I've, I've, the few people I've met who are massive, I mean, unless they, if it just comes to them physically or uh, naturally, and they're not, you know, pumping iron every day, all mm-hmm. day, just to uh, attain that size, um, they always tend to be some of the sweetest people. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. He never. He was never. Uh, he never worked out. He was never a wrestler no, in no. the traditional sense. And that no. basically, the guy, the man, was an actor. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he found his, his stage in, in wrestling and that, but like, you know, what really shocks people is like how easily he carries dialogue, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was seven foot four inches. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he apparently had the greatest like relationship with Mandy Patinkin and, yeah. you know, and I, I guess that carried on after the movie. Like they're still like really good friends after. The yeah. yeah. Oh, inconceivable. Yeah. Also I do not this- think you know the, <laughs> what that word means. Yeah. Does anybody else here, like, if you're ever playing Risk, do you specifically avoid starting a land war? Land war in Asia. 
You <laughs> felt so great true. one of the classic blunders. The first Every time I play that game. Land War in Asia. See, that, one, that is one line that uh, really kind of nails the style of the, the, the screenplay and the novel and that, mm-hmm. that kind of ridiculous interme- intermeshing of like, you know, reality <laughs> and <laughs> uh, anachronisms, in, you know. Absolutely. Plays, the movie totally plays with these guys. You know, it, it feels like a certain time and a certain place in that, but nothing about it is actually truly historically accurate. They're yeah, exactly. Their country is called Florin, which is basically a, a Spanish yeah. coin. Yeah, it, it's fake. Yeah. But to go back on the wrist thing, if you start in Australia, you have to start a land war in Asia. That's the unfortunate thing. If you start in Australia, you just sit there and collect armies and wait for everyone to come after you. Yes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to Risk Pass. <laughs> and of course, never Where enter. friendships are lost. Yeah. <laughs> never Risk en- with kids. Never enter into a bet when, uh, with a Sicilian when death is on, death the, is line. on the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was so funny. Even even just his like his switching of the cups and the his little facial um, ticks and stuff. Oh, so funny! Yeah. And and then then the laughing followed by the immediate. <laughs> yeah, over. that was brilliant. I yeah, die every brilliant. time I see that. Yeah. <laughs> Thud. <laughs> so good. Oh man, I I really wish I knew how prevalent he was as an actor but now that you guys mentioned like every like little role he had had like toy story you're like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah 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 but uh, go back and watch that scene close your eyes and imagine it's the grand negus from star trek <laughs> space nine yeah not talking no I'll, I'll just picture him as the dinosaur from toy story it's rex yeah <laughs> um there's one I, other, i've got another actor yeah. we can we can talk about real go quick for it. uh billy I crystal, was oh, yeah. billy crystal. Miracle Max. Like he was awesome in that movie. Like a very small role, but what a fun well, role! A, a fun bit of trivia on that, just because I was reading up on it. Um, IMDb was, wasn't even IMDb. There's there's stuff all about this book, about this movie, all over the place. That's uh, Billy Crystal was there for two days to shoot those scenes. Every bit of dialogue he had, aside from the bits that are very obviously taken from the book, he improvised and he never told the same joke twice. That's amazing. And yeah, apparently, there's a there's about ten hours of deleted footage that will never see the light of day because the stuff he was saying was so filthy that they could never <laughs> that they will never let it see the light of day i was reading I was that um robin williams in the uh, beginning of aladdin with the uh, uh, combination hookah and coffee maker also makes chili and fries yeah, yeah. yeah. gave him a box of stuff and said go and they're apparently yeah. just days of that that would oh, be yeah. amazing um apparently rob reimer Actually, had to leave set because he got so sick from laughing so hard. Yeah. Um. So well, you gotta imagine fun, uh, what he he was saying. The other fun bit of trivia behind that is that when Billy Crystal went in to do the makeup tests, because uh, they were trying to figure out like they wanted to kind of get a good idea of how they wanted Max to look, and a lot of the, everyone had kind of input in their character's design. He basically said, "Make me look like this," and he gave them a picture of his grandmother. Because <laughs> he's like, but he did that because he wanted to do it as kind of like a tribute to her, which is why he played the role like so very, very Yiddish. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Because he's like, because it's like it's how the character was written, and that's also he's like, I'm going to really amp this up, and he was just kind of you know practicing 13th century vulgar humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I, I read it was something about him and Carol Kane sort of meeting up before the filming, just to sort of be like, okay let's get this couple down yeah um, so i mean even if he went in there and was improving she at least had some uh 
she knew how to play off of him. Oh, she yes. was she was right there toe to toe because she's also one of the great like comedic improvers as well too. Yeah, which is yeah. funny. You don't think that you think of her music first. Well, but, you think of her music, but you also remember that she went toe to toe with Andy Kaufman on Taxi for how many years? Like she, that's true. Yeah. That's she was fair. able to roll with anything yeah. that got thrown at her, so she wasn't worried about that at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of amazing scenes, like this Billy Crystal one, does anyone have like a famous or not a famous a favorite scene from this film? Let's start with <laughs> Stu and your pensive uh, look right there. Well, first off, I like that the, the you're asking, do we? Because of course we do. Um, let, let, let's let's go with one. What's your favorite scene? It's got, it's, it's got to be Hello, this is Nigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Which one? With the, Hello, the, my name is Nigo Montoya. Oh, the, you killed my father. Prepare to die. My oh no, your microphone. <laughs> I'm just getting so into it. Yeah. So so the last one. Yeah. There's, the there's so much scene. power after yeah. in that. Offer me, offer me power, offer me money, offer me everything I've ever wanted. Yes, yes, anything. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like the, that, oh, that scene kills me every yeah. time. Yeah. And now, no, now, now knowing that he was going exactly. through his father's uh, exactly. death. Like, just seeing him sort of go from, I mean, he goes from zero to a hundred and beyond. Um, but, I mean, he's not doing it in a way where, I mean, so many other people would just throw it away and they'd go, they'd, it would go there so much quicker and you wouldn't see the real change quite as much, but he just nails it. And really, you see the whole struggle and it, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And that just that, you know, the, 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 the way he sort of spits it out at the end, you know, you yeah. son of a bitch. Well, I mean, Interplay uh, well, that off of Christopher Guest's uh, performance as Count Rugen in that that yeah. moment where he's standing over him and that with the dagger in the belly and that have you been chasing me your entire life? I yes. think that is the saddest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Just mocking. How it. marvelous! Yeah. Um, fun little interjection on that that scene with Rugen and Inigo that last duel where he keeps repeating the "My name is Inigo Montoya." Yeah. Christopher Guest stopped saying that was actually him legitimately saying that because he didn't know what was going on. Because the whole thing was like, there was the cue line where he gets the slashes, but he didn't know when it was going to happen. So like with Mandy kept saying it over and over, he was like, stop saying that. Like, I don't know wow. where we are in the scene right now. Stop saying that. Wow. Oh, and, Reiner, and Reiner had told Mandy to keep doing that to, to yeah. get under his skin. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a, it's such a, it's a chilling scene. Like in that moment, you can sort of be afraid of Inigo um, mm-hmm. As well as cheering for him. I mean, this guy, he, the, 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 he's walking the edge of a knife right there. Yeah. He's following through on his revenge, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Huh. So, yeah, that's mine. Uh, I don't know what the. I'm sorry if I took. Uh, took Everyone's? <laughs> no, let's go, with, let's go with Hawk. Hawk, go for it. Oh, God. I can't think of a better scene than the, you know, Vicini and Wesley sitting down at that little <laughs> little tree stump and that. The but Battle the, of Wits. Yeah. yeah. As, as Eric pointed out, it's it's those facial mannerisms in uh, uh, Wallace Shawn and that as, you know, you know, you know is a little battle of wits between the two of them and that. And he, he's just so trollish and devilish looking in it and that, and yet so joyful. And, but you can see Carrie always like egging him on too. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's he's poking that beast. Yeah, <laughs> and then of course, yeah, the famous line: "Never start a land war in Asia." 
<laughs> and never make a bet with with a Sicilian when death is on the line. Amazing. Yeah. You know, you know, Strauss, I'm gonna come to you last because you're the newest. So I'm gonna go to Matt Moore. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I have one, it's really weird because mine's particularly dark and it's a scene that a lot of people don't like to remember. It's the scene in the, in the pit of despair, despair where Wesley's strapped to the machine and Rugen is doing the whole, you know, I've made it my history study. I'm writing the definitive work on pain. So he puts him up to the machine. He's like, I just sucked one year off your life. So tell me, how does that feel? And Wesley just starts off and he just goes, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's just. It's just Chris again. It's baby Christopher Guest, which a lot of people again forget that he's in the movie because it's Chris Guest. Mm-hmm. Um, just like he's and he's not even malicious. He's just so he's so clinical, clinically scientific about it. But what he's saying is so ridiculous. It's the same with the scene he has right before that when he's talking to Humperdinck. And he's like, mm-hmm. "Yo, I'm about to go down and try this with the machine." He's like. Like Tyrone, you know I love your work, but I'm planning. You know, you have to slaughter my wife, plan a war, and then blame and then blame the other country for it. I'm swamped. Well, yeah. if you don't have your health, what do you have? Like, it's just such a brilliantly sadistic character without it being like the mustache twirling villain. He's just well, so it, clinical. It, it's he's it, like a, a the storybook version of Megdala. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's exactly exactly it. He is he's not twirling, he is precise, he is detailed, but there's a fantasy element to it. Yeah. And I mean there's it's also it's a, it's another little a little PS with with Ruben and again it's the shot they kept in the film. Um when they capture Wesley and he knocks him out with his sword, he legit knocked Carrie always out with his sword. Like he actually hit made contact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like knocked him out for six hours and he was concussed and they had to stop oh. for three days because he actually hit him with his sword. <laughs> and that's the shot oh. that they kept was him actually knocking out Carrie. Which is why we like such a great performance of Carrie always passing out because he legitimately passed out. I think there was a there's there's like a running theme with this movie where they're just like, Yeah, go for it. Just actually hit me because well, Andre the Giant run, hit yeah. uh hit um uh, Mandy Patinkin or Mandy Patinkin hit Andre the Giant for real and like yeah. stuff like that. And <laughs> again, well, I mean yeah. Rob Reiner when you're going off stuff like Spinal Tap where he was he's very improv heavy with his stuff. Um, that it's the best way to get legit reactions. Just go for it. We'll figure it out if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go with my favorite before Shouse because I know he he's probably gonna try and steal this. Okay. Um, but mm-hmm. my favorite part because me being a Star Wars nerd, I always love sword fights. The the, the oh. first the first sword <laughs> fight like oh. the lead up to it like just just them like the, the climbing of the the cliff of insanity yeah um and then the the little dialogue they have right before <laughs> they start the fight and then the fight in general is just amazing and it does like Stu said bring lots of Errol Flynn feelings to my heart mm-hmm. um and there's like that it's the build up and the the music. Yeah. From it. Oh, we should talk about the music later. Yeah, Mark right. I give you my word as a Spaniard. No good. I've known too many Spaniards. Yeah. Um, I swear yeah, my I'd... father. And he's like, throw me the rope. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that dynamic between the two characters, it really helps in that because they're not they're not mortal enemies in that. They're just two guys who are you know, on two different paths in that. They In another life, they could be yeah. friends, you know? Yeah. And then they do become friends. See? They do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, shows because I stole that one, and I know you're. Yeah, you're you, it, it's hard because you, you know, you just not. Yeah. What um, about the ending when uh, Patrick okay, so. Stewart shows up as uh, King Richard? Oh, <laughs> 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 
Um, I, so I'm, I'm going to go with um, the Billy Crystal scene. I'm going to oh, say is probably my, my second favorite. My, my favorite was definitely the one that you just stole from me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the Billy Crystal scene, I, I don't know. It, it, it reminded me of Spaceballs a little yes, bit. Yeah. I don't know. Like the, way that, the way the costuming, too, he had a little bit of the yogurt. Uh, the yogurt right? scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, like, it, I, I don't know. I, I was having fun with that scene just p- because of, like, what we talked about before with, with how how much fun those two characters were. And they just sort of took the movie from where it was going yeah. at that point in the story and just sort of twisted it around and give you a little bit of comedy yeah. to get you back on yeah. track. Yeah, reminding um, everyone, that, oh, by the way, this is a comedy. It, it sort of a follow-up uh, or, or, or a a third uh, fa- favorite would probably be the, the scene where he, they're in the, um, you know, that, that forest that has all the fire yeah, coming fire up. Fire swamp from the ground yeah and and then there's the the quicksand mm-hmm. that she falls straight into the quicksand and he dies in oh. to save her that was really cool too. that's another another it, yeah yeah you brought in mel brooks into it and uh because obviously like you know mel brooks and carl reiner uh yeah yeah and like it, yeah, yeah rob reiner was kind of the perfect guy to do this because basically he had the pedigree mm-hmm. it. just yeah. growing up like you know with his dad and like mel brooks on sets and that Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, and and again, the the random trivia that I look up is that is that Carl Reiner actually gave Rob Reiner a copy of this book when he was a kid. Oh. Uh, and then Rob fell in love with the book, and he like desperately was trying to make it for years and years, and as well as everyone else. That the movie was in development hell for almost like well, almost a decade since the movie book came out. It was in development hell. Really. Uh, and no one would. Uh, they couldn't greenlight, and then finally Reiner came along, and he'd done Spinal Tap, and he'd done a couple other films. Like, okay, yeah, you've got a, mm-hmm. you know, and Goldman had enough pedigree behind his name with the uh, Butch Cassidy. They're like, yeah, okay, we'll let you do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 sorry, go to sorry. There was just one other scene I wanted to bring up, um, just because uh, I, I, I just don't want to skip over this one guy who name we haven't even mentioned yet, um, but uh, Peter Cook. Um, yes. Yeah, sure yes. the bishop. Yeah. The bishop, Mowage. Yeah, I mean that that guy. um, I'm not sure uh, if to to what degree you guys or the listeners are sort of aware of his prolific comedy career, but I mean he is one of the funniest people to come out of England. Absolutely, Um, and just sort of. uh, I mean, these days you you say that like he he slips under the radar um, a lot of the time, and it's just I, I just wanted to make sure we sort of say by the way if you like that guy it's not just that scene that he's funny in he's funny mm-hmm. oh yeah he predated like monty python too yeah, yeah. absolutely he was a uh, he was a big um the, the pythons loved him the yeah. uh the hugh laurie and stephen yeah. fry both yeah. they yeah. talk about well him. he and uh he and dudley moore were a great team that's years right i was trying to think of his, uh, his yes. partner yeah and, yeah They've had the uh, the show Beyond the Fringe, which played the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for like six years. They would just keep doing the show and just tweaking it every year. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're yeah. talking about all these amazing scenes, and these amazing scenes are definitely prolific in pop culture. Like, you can just think about like, uh, what was it? Um, one of the Monkey Island games has, um, like, quotes the Inigo Montoya. Yeah, the yeah. scene like his his lines. Um, are there any? I think like, it was the first Monkey Island when he's. I think it was the first one too. Fighting the Swordmaster, or when you're right. Yeah, yeah. Sword, Swordmaster in the beginning. Yeah. Um. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Do 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 do. Anyway, <laughs> that used to be my uh, 
my ringtone for a long time. <laughs> it was mine too. <laughs> and then it got confusing. I think we were living together at the time. I, when, yeah, yeah. When that happened. Um, are there any like uh, famous pop culture references from this uh, that this film referenced that you guys recall or remember that you enjoyed? Mm. Oh. I mean, I use uh, if if uh, I'm in a message chat with someone and um, if if they say something I really don't like or you know like I can't make it to such and such event, I will go looking for the gif of because <laughs> I mean it's just perfect. <laughs> it's true. This like gifs in general in our in our lives now. I never thought would be as prevalent. As they actually are. I'm pretty sure I reply to most yeah. messages with gifts now. And it annoys people, but I love them. <laughs> and this this film just lends itself so beautifully. And it's, oh, yeah. It's just so absurd and over the days. I think that's one of the reasons it stands up so well is that when they were making it, they went hard absurdist with it. Yes. Um, they, they didn't mm-hmm. try and uh, make it into... I mean, you look at some of the other uh, fantasy films at the time. It's like, yeah, this isn't really holding up now because I mean, let's face it lord of the rings came out um harry potter came out all that stuff you can't really it's they they were very smart in saying let's um not let this age by preemptively uh just making it its own off the wall craziness Mm -hmm. like i said the whole thing is just basically like a story i believe like uh, um goldman's children actually were the ones who came up with the names for everybody you know prince yeah. humperdinck mm-hmm. buttercup buttercup yeah yeah because when he was writing the story his uh two daughters would be like tell us something new and he was like okay yeah. let's yeah. make a story together did, yeah. did which, which was not, an amazing idea i'm not sure if you guys had the same experience but uh first time watching it um as soon as they sort of <laughs> you know the, the name comes up princess buttercup what was your reaction to what this film was about to like <laughs> I, I i i was probably about 14 15 i was watching it at a summer camp sort of thing i'd never even heard of this thing and they're like we're gonna watch the princess bride like okay they put it on you know princess buttercup it's like are you kidding me this is <laughs> yeah. watching? Uh, and then i you know food, you know smash <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just, you you were you're perplexed, yeah. right? Because you're like, oh, this is gonna be one of those kissy films. Yeah, <laughs> just like Fred Savage's right at the beginning. And yeah. I, yeah, well, I, I I think I was young enough to be like, oh, that's a funny name, because I think I saw it when I was like seven or eight the first time. So it didn't really phase me because I was so young. No, um, I approached it with a the suspension of disbelief, and the you know, I kind of knew you. Know, you kind of take it for what it is. Um, yeah, it's very much in the absurdist tradition. It's got that a bit of postmodernism to it, and that there was a line in one of the, the it, in the I think it was around the first telling of a Princess Buttercup story, and that uh, where he talks about the Countess and her obsession with Paris fashion, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you know because Paris was always a thing, uh, mm-hmm. and they described Florence as a country before Europe was a thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh yeah, the book's brilliant for little interjections like that. It sort of sets the stage, right? As soon as they introduce Princess Buttercup, you know sort of what you're getting yeah. into, right? It's it's like this is not a super serious Lord of the Rings Tolkien yeah. style mm-hmm. fantasy and, story. Yeah. They're they're already telling you this is where you're getting. And it helps that the grandfather keeps on interjecting in the film, yeah. like you know yeah. what? It's okay. Yeah, we don't have to talk about this if there's more kissing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Well, and it and the movie came out at a point in time where you know like the. the 
and using the quotation fingers here, high fantasy movies of the 80s were becoming really prevalent. So you had like a lot of the Conans where if they weren't out, they were in the works. Hercules in New York. All Legend. these, they mm. had these big fantasy films with characters that had ridiculous sounding names because it's a fantasy movie and you have to give them ridiculous names if it's fantasy. And they were all dark fantasy in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to imagine like kids watching, like seeing a commercial for like Legend or something and be like, yeah, let's go see that. And you're... The parents then yeah. are be like, no, you but are you too stuff young. Like, like yeah. the Beastmaster and stuff like that. Even Conan with Schwarzenegger. Like it's all these movies that just look so silly and campy with these ridiculous names. Like even then they looked kind of silly. <laughs> but that was kind of what you were going in. It's like, okay, we're going to see a fantasy film. There's going to be goofy names and they're going to be silly and we're going to laugh at them. And then Goldman's like, okay, we're going to make these really silly. And really silly. Like, Prince Humperdinck is the yes. bad guy. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and they play up these as a strength and not as like a weakness, right? Like yeah. the silliness is what makes this movie amazing. Exactly. Yeah, and the fact that it's a fa- it's a fantasy level, it's a fantasy realm that a child from age eight on on up can watch. You know, it's not it it doesn't isolate itself to you know some dark theme in that. This yeah. is why it's lasted so many years. In that, it's it's a family friendly movie. In that, that's still fun yeah. to visit every now and then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, 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 it's a family-friendly yep. movie that you don't have to have a family to go and enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like Toy there's, Story. Yeah, there's humor for all ages. And you got to love those films where they have humor for the kids, but then there's like an underlying humor that adults will understand. And you don't really understand until you get older and you appreciate the movie even more. And it's the kind of stuff that, you know, like the Muppets were very famous for doing the TV show and then with the movies. And then series like The Simpsons and The Family Guy have taken and expanded on as the... You know, we can make these little jokes that adults will get and kids will be like, that's silly. And then adults will be like, oh, I know what they're talking about. That's really, really funny. Yeah. I, I, you know, I thought this that um, as well for Ghostbusters. Like, I thought it was fine, yeah. like, like funny as a kid. But mm-hmm. when you get older and you're like, Bill Murray's really dirty in this movie. Yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, they make such... jokes where as a kid, you're like, oh, that's kind of silly. And the adults are like, wow, I can't believe they said that. <laughs> or uh, the test cards at the university. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I never yeah. got that scene as a kid. Watching it all <laughs> when I grew up, I was like, "Wow!" The only thing that's even better is like is something like the Ghostbusters uh, TV edit, where they have to cut out you know the bits that are actually kind of inappropriate for kids. Well, it uh, sounds like there's so enough people funnier. inside you already. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's Stu, don't you look like you're gonna lose it? <laughs> <laughs> Like she barked, she drooled, she clawed. Normally I'm into that, but not this time. <laughs> it, it kind of brings up a good question though. Like I was watching this movie by myself. Like my kids had already gone to bed and, and I was trying to figure out if my kids are old enough to watch this one. Well, like, your son is what? Seven. seven. I think you're getting to the age and, where he uh, can. Hmm. Yeah. Like I was feeling like maybe a little bit with some of the violence, with some of the blood and, I think, um, I mean, really, especially stuff like, you know, with like the R.O.U.S.'s or the Shrieking Eels, stuff like that can be a little intense. Yeah. But I think it is, it's one of those you have to, like, again, treat it like, the you know, the grandfather, like Peter Falk did in talking to to Fred Savage. It's like, it's a story. It all works out well in the end. Don't worry. Yeah. And, you know, even having that, like having those, like the interjections that happen in the movie are kind of well-planned too, because you know, like they're stopping because we know it's intense right now. We're going to slow it down a bit. Just relax. It'll be fine. Now we're going to get into it. Mm-hmm. Well, would it be better well, to like read the book? Out through first? the scary parts. You know what? Um, I'm going to go on the book part. Uh, no. 
Reading the book to your kid first is not a good thing at first no. because the framing device, like um, he talks about at the beginning, the first chapter is him growing up and how he was as a kid, not really into anything other than sports, which you can see in the Fred Savage character. Right. Yeah. Um, so he, he ends up getting sick and his father reads him the book. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, this is all from the movie more or less. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into the parts where he's an adult and he has a family and he's like on the road and he's tired. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he, he's out selling his scripts for movies and he's like, he meets starlets and he's like, maybe I shouldn't cheat on my wife and stuff. And you're like, yeah. maybe I shouldn't read this to my kid right now. <laughs> Interesting. It's it, I, yeah, I find it's one of those, like the movie's a great thing to watch. Like you can show kid like kids once they get to his like closer to the teenage years. If they really, really like it, once they kind of hit mid-teens, then you can be like, here's the book. If you love the movie, here's the book. Read the book. Now that you have the context for what's going on, you can kind of visualize it. Yeah. Because it's, again, like because Goldman goes into so much more detail with things mm-hmm. that knowing the base story, you're like, okay, I know where, where this is going. You can appreciate the interjections and all the, the wraparound more. You're like, oh, that's so cool. But I understand why they wouldn't put that in the movie because it's really fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it's great to read once you're older and you're like, oh, that's actually really funny. Because a lot of you have to, again, appreciate the humor that he wrote in there that does not translate well to the screen. Like, how no, old were all you guys when you saw the movie? Would you would you estimate? I was eight-ish. Yeah, I was about eight as well, too. So, the I, yeah, the movie had come out like... I'll, 87? I'll myself here. Yeah, the like, movie had come out like two, three years before I saw it. Like, I saw it on, on VHS when it first came out. I saw it on VHS on, as well. I saw it on yeah, beta when it too. first came out. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not for me. Oh no. Babe. I came in I came into it a bit late in life. Uh not that late, but it was mid teens when I saw it. So I wasn't a child, but yeah. you know. Yeah. So me, I, I definitely had a different take on it from what I would have as a kid. Yeah. It was the same with me, but I think honestly I think I would have been fine with it as a kid. Um I mean the I think the uh what what my sort of armchair theory is that the really scary thing for kids is not so much blood and violence but just the existential realization that death is a real thing and like yeah i mean if a kid has been through that before if they if that's become the realization that they've had um i mean i had it really young when i watched the never-ending story and just the concept Mm. of nothing yeah Uh, that yeah i know ruined me for a little while but after i got over that was my parents were able to sit down and say like you know it was nothing to do with blood and violence it's just like Okay, here it is. We're all gonna die. It's gonna be a long time, but it's gonna you know. Once that sort of got across to me, and once I was uh, able to do that, violence and um, I mean, I, I wasn't watching ultra violence, but I mean, the sort of violence that you'd see in this film um, that wouldn't have been a problem for me. And I don't think too many kids would have that problem if they've already sort of had that milestone moment in their life but right. even if you hadn't like when i saw it i don't think the concept of death was something that i i had thought of and really when you're watching this as a kid you're just thinking oh they're gonna defeat the bad guy and yeah. that's just sort of the thing because you know you well you play video games you're stomping on like mario or you're stomping on goombas and stuff you're like oh yeah. Yeah, i'm just defeating them um, well, I, think, I, think, I, don't, I don't think the, the concept of death was really a thing for at least for I, me. At that I time. think the machine that can suck out life. Was yeah. Hilarious thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's the part that, that really got me is when I was younger too, seeing that. And, like, and it's the concept of like, I sucked one year of your life away. 
It's yeah. not I'm killing you slowly. It's I'm taking your I'm taking your life from you. <laughs> you, you know what I thought and then, that meant? And then he puts up, you know, not to 20 and you're like, oh, God. When I was little, I thought that just meant he was getting older. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I thought. As a, as a, with like a white, white hair or something. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, he's getting older. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And but like, you, if you think about it from the the standpoint of the movie, um, Peter Falk is reading to a ten year old um, Fred Savage. Yeah. So you know, ten seems to be like a good age for this film, yeah. or at least yeah. like that for um, what the purposes of the film are. Yeah. Do you remember how the opening of Buttercup's story begins in the novel? Uh, it you know you know her from the film as the most beautiful you know woman in the mm-hmm. world in that but the beginning of it actually takes him from age five on to mm-hmm. you know her later years and that and it always begins when the most beautiful woman in the world when buttercup was five was mm-hmm. such and such a person and we yeah. down this weird you know this the whole uh, very condensed version of their life story yeah the full oh. genealogy of all the most beautiful women as she got older and suddenly <laughs> started to become more beautiful until she became the most beautiful woman in the world yeah um to go back to the book, as as Hawk said, shows if you skip the first chapter, it's probably fine to read it to your kids. You could totally read the actual Princess Bride portions. Mm-hmm. Your kids oh, there, so it's all, there yeah, are times. There, yeah, there are times when he goes into his, um, him talking about being like writing it because It'll he's writing up. he's writing the abridged version. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't need to talk about that when you're reading the story. Yeah. Right, like you can totally skip over those parts. You just have to look ahead when you're yeah. going it's, through. Yeah, it's one of those like if you kind of pre-read it and you find the breaks in the book where he makes the break, you can almost. It's one of those weird things where you can almost kind of take on the role of Goldman and when you're telling the story, where it's like I'm going to skip this part here. It's really boring. Trust me, you don't want to know it. We're going to get to the good bit and kind of make it a little more personalized for your kids if you wanted to do that. If you want to take it to that level, or you could just kind of read the interjections that he puts in there as well, too, and those work just as well as anything else. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so um, I guess this is a good time to ask the readers, like, what do you think is a good time to show the kids the book or the movie? Um, you know, you can contact us through our email, through our through our Facebook, through our Twitter. All that info is coming at you really soon at the end of this episode because I've wrote because I've recorded that. That end roll, that's right. I recorded it. So I don't yeah, you did. every week because nice. I can't remember it. <laughs> you also called the listeners the readers. Yes, I did because. <laughs> Shut up, Huck. <laughs> what? You mean you're not going to transcribe each episode and put it up there for people to read? There was a time when I was like, you know what? I should transcribe this so that when I put it on, put it on YouTube, our episodes are on YouTube. Um, and then you sober have a nap and realize it's a horrible idea. And then I, well, I, I got a, I got one of those auto translator. Yeah, that's not going to do it. Scribing thing, and then I read it, and I was like, nope, 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 nope. nope. Anyways, thank you guys for coming on. Thank hey, you, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you guys with our next episode, which is our hundredth episode, where we talk about our favorite fandoms. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to pick the Princess Bride, but I know a crap ton of us are going to pick Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, if you guys don't know, we have a YouTube page, which I said previously, but anyway, um, mm-hmm. where we're starting to release uh, reviews, like uh, video reviews. So we're going to start reviewing video games, books, uh, movies. Um, other such things because sometimes we get invited to premieres and maybe we'll end up talking to some of the people out there. Um, yeah. 
So check out our YouTube. Uh, just look up Geeks with Kids and we'll pop up. And definitely subscribe so that we can get one of those custom URLs up at the top. Yeah, tell, uh, tell all your friends to subscribe. Yeah. So thanks again, guys, for coming on. And we will talk to everyone later. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Well, that's it for us this week on Geeks with Kids. If you want to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids. Follow us on Twitter at geekswithkidscn. Check out our pics on Instagram at geekswithkids. And you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca. So if you like what you hear, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.